Welcome to Connect Church. We're a new church in the East Windsor Heightstown area, and we're a church that is looking to connect to Jesus and community. We're so glad you've joined us. I'm excited for this new series today as we kick it off called Culture Shock, um, because again, as followers of Jesus, we are meant to live in a way that sometimes um, counter, counteracts culture. Sometimes as Christians, you'll, you'll feel the tension of the, the Bible. Jesus asks me to live this way, but culture is saying something different. How do I reconcile these two things? And so today, as we start a question, have you ever pursued something? And maybe you're sitting next to someone that you pursued today, or maybe for you it's been a job um, or a passion or a hobby or something where just within you passion welled up and you were excited about it, and so you pursued it. For me in high school, I played soccer in my junior year. One of my teammates got fouled, and the ref didn't call it. And so I took it upon myself with my passion to pursue the kid um, who injured my teammate to take him out. Now, I'm not proud of that moment, and the ref yellow carded me, and I had to sit out for a while. But in that moment, passion overwhelmed me, and I pursued that kid to try and make things right. Today, as followers of Jesus, we are meant to pursue people. We're meant to live a life where we pray for, reach out to, and share who Jesus is to other people. Yet even as I say that, you may feel the tension of a statement like that. I'm meant to pursue people and share what I believe with them, but we live in a world of individual truth. I believe what I believe, you believe what you believe, keep it to yourself. Uh, It's cool that you think that, but please don't force me to think the way that you do. Live out your truth. I must have heard that phrase even on the radio and like commercials with the election coming up like a hundred times this week of like, live out your truth. Vote for what's important to you. Do what's important to you. And we all kind of live our own individual truth, but let's not force other people to think the same way. I saw a study this week that kind of pointed to this. There's a group called Barna that does studies within the church. And some of the statistics that they said around this idea are this. 50% Half of millennial Christians think that sharing your faith is wrong. 47% agree with this statement. It's wrong to share faith with someone who believes differently. Again, almost 50% of people say if someone has a different thought than me, it's wrong for me to try and persuade them to believe the way that I do. But then the interesting part at the conclusion of the study says this. 97% of Christians say that we are still meant to represent Jesus to those around us. So almost everyone believes that we're meant to represent Jesus around to the people around us, but half of us say that it's wrong for me to make you believe my truth. How do we reconcile that? In a world of individual thought and individual beliefs, how do we pursue people? Even more so right now, we write off certain groups of people who believe differently than us. Even right now, as you're thinking, a group, when I say you write them off, might pop into your head immediately. This person believes differently than me. I write them off. There's no way I could love them. I don't want them in my church. Or maybe you've just had a bad experience at some point in your life where you saw someone maybe try and persuade you to believe in Jesus, and it was awful. For me, I think of a moment immediately with that. Uh, My sister and I were going to a Taylor Swift concert, Yeah, I've been to two of them. I love her. Um, 
And this was like still like innocent young Taylor, not like maybe where she's at now. And on the way in, there was this guy handing out tracts on the path. And he tried to give me one and be like, hey, you should believe in Jesus. And I'm like, hey, like, we're on the same team, man. I do. Like, I'm a pastor. I'm credentialed. I work at a church. And his response was, no, you're not. If you're a Christian, why are you going to a concert? And at that moment, I was like, the light bulb went on a little bit of like, oh, this is the experience that some people are talking about when they've had, like, negative experiences of someone talking about Jesus. And even in myself in that moment, I was like, man, I never want to look like this guy. But today, hear this. We need to pursue people. We need to point people to Jesus. And today we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 15, and it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, and it talks about this idea. Um, And to set the stage a little bit, so Jesus is having dinner with some Pharisees or religious leaders, and they're talking about essentially who is worthy of being part of the kingdom of God. Jesus had a habit of hanging out with people that um, typical religious people at that time didn't, and there was tension around that. And so today we're going to read this, the discussion around this. And we'll start with verses 1 to 2. It says this, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I even like that language, notorious sinner. Think of some of those people within culture that the church typically labels notorious sinners and have those people in mind as we read this. They came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. I love that last part, even eating with them. How dare Jesus have a meal with someone that the church or those who are religious look down on so much? How dare Jesus invite those people to be part of his kingdom and to have a relationship with him? And even just starting that, I think of our culture right now where we see these discussions all around our culture. How dare you hang out with this person? How dare you think about loving that person? They believe this. And one of the interesting things about Jesus is this, is that his challenging to the way that culture was and the way that people thought didn't drive people away. See, he called people out on what they did wrong all throughout his life on earth, and yet people still drew in masses to come and hear him. There was something about the way that Jesus lived his life and interacted with other people that attracted people to him. And even today, hear this, again, in a world where we live our own truth and we do our own thing, there's a way to live opposite that, to invite people in, in a nice and loving way, to draw them into the kingdom of God. Jesus lived this. They decided, the religious leaders again, drew lines in the sand of who was worthy of being part of the kingdom of God and who was not. And they decided to live in as much separation as possible from those people. Again, now we live in a secular world, so those divisions look different than righteous and unrighteous, clean or unclean. Some of the the dividing lines we make today in our culture are woke versus unwoke, Republican versus Democrat, Giants versus Eagles, inclusive versus non-inclusive, Boomer versus Young, stop being such a Karen. You hear all of these things all the time in our culture that are dividing lines in the way that we view people. This is the tension of the story. This is where Jesus is addressing those who are part of the kingdom of God. And so throughout the rest of the chapter, he tells three different stories to illustrate how he wants us to represent him. So the first one is this. There's a story of a sheep, and it goes like this. 
If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Again, it wasn't strange that a sheep would be lost. Um, growing up, I had sheep, and they were, they're really dumb animals. They, they follow each other. They really don't stray away, and if they do, they're completely helpless. You have to literally walk them through everything uh, in order for them to, to make it, and so it wasn't uncommon for them to wander off and get lost. We had ours fenced in, so they really couldn't go anywhere, and... Um, but at this time, that wasn't normal. They wandered on cliffs and mountains and, and wild areas, and so they would often get lost. And as we read this, it seems strange that a shepherd would endanger 99% of his flock for one. Why would a shepherd, when, when he has 99% of all of his sheep and just one gets lost, why would he care? It doesn't seem to make sense. And so two conclusions out of this, either the, 99, the safety of the 99% was assumed no matter what they were fine, or the point of this story is to rejoice in the one who returns home. And right here, Jesus is beginning to lay the groundwork for this idea that when one person comes to know God, that it's worth celebrating. Even more so than 99 people who have lived for God their entire lives, when one person comes to know God, it's worth celebrating. And this was such a huge idea because at that time, the rabbis or the religious leaders believed that God received the sinner who came to them the right way. They believed that there was a right way, a right process to come to know God. And here Jesus is saying, there is no right way. It's about the one person who comes to know him. The emphasis of the story is on the joy of finding what was lost. May we never forget the joy and the celebration of one person returning to God. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that should move us. The fact that Jesus is making it so clear that there's a huge rejoicing in heaven and it moves God's heart to joy when someone comes to know him. As followers of Jesus, in an age of individual truth and thought, we still need to pursue people who don't know God. Jesus continues with another story, the lost coin. It goes like this. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Just a quick note, uh, these coins were essentially representative of like a day's pay. So it wasn't like you just lost a penny and you're freaking out over it. This was significant. It meant something. Won't she shine a light and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin in the same way. There is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Again, we see this idea. There's a celebration. There is joy. There's, there's something to be excited about when someone comes to know God. And an, an interesting part of the story is this. When the lady lost the coin, her right to the coin didn't change. Even though she lost the coin, the coin still belonged to her, and so she found it. And one of the things that we can draw out of that is regardless of where we are today in our relationship with God, it doesn't change our identity and who we are as a child of God. 
Even though we may wander, even though we may make mistakes, even though we may not always get it right, we still belong to God. And who we belong to is important. Because if we all belong to God, then as those of follow, or followers of Jesus, we need to seek people out. We need to pursue them. Not only that, but this lady put in effort. Her coin was lost. She tried to find it. See, she searched for the coin deliberately. She brought a light around. She cleaned the house. And, and I think of this idea of panic. I don't know if you've ever lost something really important to you before, but there's this tension in you that, that exists until you find it. Um, when I was in high school, I had a hamster, and it got out of the cage at one point. Um, and I'm terrified of small rodents, even though I have them, and I have two gerbils, and they're in the cage, and I like to watch them, but I don't want to touch it or be near it. And so my hamster gets out, and I hop on my bed, and there's this moment of tension. The hamster's out. Where is he? We have two cats in the house. Who's going to win, the cats, the hamster, or us in finding him? And I'm sitting on the bed, and I'm pointing to people. I think he's there. I think he's there. Um, and we found him, and he lived, uh, which was good. But again, there's this tension of when we're looking for something that's lost. And in the same way, we should feel that same tension when there's people in our lives who don't know Jesus. The same feeling that we have when we lose something important to us. Uh, right now, one of our most important possessions are the SD cards for the recorder and for the camera for all of the online church stuff that we're doing. But they're tiny. We lose them all the time. And when we do, there's a tension in it. Where is it? Where did I leave it last? I have no idea. Rachel, do you know where? No, you don't either. This isn't good. And we panic until we find it. That same tension is how we should feel and care about the people in our lives who don't know God. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He tells one more story. And it's about a lost son. And Jesus wants to illustrate the point even further. And, and I think he tells it three different ways because it's so important that we get this. A man has two sons. One decides he doesn't want to live with his family anymore, and so he walks to his dad and he says, please give me all my inheritance. Split everything that you have, sell what you need to, give me my money, I'm going to go do my own thing. And so the father does it. He's gracious, even though that's a big ask. And essentially his son was disowning him and saying he wanted nothing to do with him. The father does it anyway. He gives him half of everything that he has, and the son goes off, and he blows all of the money and inheritance that he got on wild living. He lives it up. He has a great time, but all of his money disappears. And then on top of it, a famine hits. And so now he has no money, and most people don't have food either. It kind of reminds me of like 2020 and that setting of like just everything goes wrong. And here he is with no food. There's a lack of food in the land, so what does he do? He's hungry, so he persuades a farmer to hire him so that he can eat with the pigs. And so his life goes from being uh, a son with a father to what some may say may be awesome and really fun to a point where he's eating the scraps that pigs are getting. And we see how the son became lost. The younger son asks for a special exemption, motivated by foolishness and greed, and the Father still gives him that. And, and even as I read that, hear this today, maybe you're newer in your faith journey, maybe you're not sure where you stand, God gives you the choice to live out your faith however you want to. And we see that he's so gracious and loving that even here he lets the son wander off and do what's wrong. He knows where this is going, and he does it anyway. 
Today, would we know that we have the choice to do whatever we want to do, but would we be smart about it? Because we see that even though the Son lives with the most extravagant and awesome things that life may say there is to offer, he still ends up empty and looking. And so the story continues. He's eating the pig food, and he comes to his, his senses, and he thinks even being a servant at home would be better than where I am today. And so he decides, I'm going to go home and ask to be a hired servant and ask for forgiveness because I know my father. And so the son decides to return home. And even as he decides to do that, an, an interesting note is this, is that Jesus didn't go back because he liked his brother. He didn't go back because um, that the, the farm was incredible, but he went back because he knew that the father would have enough compassion and mercy on him to take him back even as a servant. And again, in that, we see the picture and the love of God. And it also tells us something about followers of Jesus today. That when we come back to God, it's not to be part of a church. It's not because of friends. It's not because uh, maybe we're thinking that God is going to bless us and give us an incredible inheritance somewhere. But it's simply for the Father and the love that he has for us. So the son returns home. And the reaction of the father is incredible. Off in the distance, the father sees his son wandering home. And he runs out to meet him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He clothes him. He gives him a ring that says, you're one of us again. He tells the servants, go kill the best animal that we have. We're going to eat it. We're going to throw a party. Because my son who was lost is now found. The father joyfully receives the lost son. And this is so remarkable because the son had disgraced the father in so many different ways. I'm sure the talk of the town was, look at that guy. His son disowned him and went and wasted all of his money, and he's making an idiot out of himself. Look at that guy. And the father put the reputation, all of that aside, for the love of his son today. I don't know what you may have walked in this room with today, but the love of the father covers all of it. He opens his arms, he runs to us, he throws a party. Again, he celebrates this theme that we see in all three stories. There is joy when we come back to God. And then the part that Jesus closes this story out with to hit the religious leaders at that time who were judgmental and were mean is this. See, the old, older brother finds out. He was in the field. He was working, he was, do he was doing the right thing. He was doing the right thing that he's been doing for years while his brother was out living and, and being foolish. And he hears a party. And he hears a celebration. And he asks someone, hey, why are they throwing a party? Why is there a celebration? And someone says to him, oh, your brother came home. And in that moment, he's furious. He refuses to join the party. He refuses to be excited about the fact that his brother had come home. Because all the years of bitterness and anger that had been building in his heart towards his brother were exposed in that moment. See, I'm sure that as he's working in the field, he hears stories of how his brother's living. And he's thinking, I'm here doing the right thing every day. And my brother, he's out there having fun, making us look bad. He disowned us. How can my father be so happy that he's home? And I think today in the church... This attitude can, can be in our hearts if we're not careful. I've been following Jesus for years. 
I've been doing the right thing. How come this person who comes in and doesn't look anything like they're supposed to, they haven't done anything right this whole week, why are they welcomed? Why, do we, why are we excited about that? And the point of all of this is this. See, in each of the parables, Jesus' message to the sinners and tactors was clear. Repent and come home to the Father. But the message to the religious leaders and those was also clear. Be happy when the lost are found. When they repent and come home to the Father, we should celebrate and we should be excited. See, in a world that is so quickly to divide and draw lines and decide who's in and who's out, may the church, may our church never be about that. May we be excited every time someone who may walk in these doors who looks nothing like how we're supposed to as followers of Jesus, love them and accept them and remind them that when you come home, there's a celebration and a party. We're glad that you're here. The gospel blurs lines and it's messy, but when we get in the trenches, we pursue people. And even a note around that, and I think that the scene of the story is important that they're doing this over a meal in someone's home. And at that time, sharing a meal meant that we were open to have discussion, that we were open to be on the same page, and that we were friends, we were okay. And can I say this? Can we stop having important discussions on social media and on platforms where we weren't meant to have them? And would we invite people into our homes where we have the hard conversations? Would we stop selling out for the easy version and do the messy, tough version where we invite people who may be nothing like us to our table. We need to pursue people actively, pray for them, love them, care for them. May we never hold on to our attitude of righteousness. Would we avoid living in the fear of keeping our truth to ourselves? Jesus lived in this tension. He spent his life around this tension of calling out ideas that didn't line up with the way that he thought. And even around that idea, would we be careful? Because we are very quick to talk about things that we're passionate about. We have no problem talking about our favorite sport, our favorite movie, our favorite Netflix binge, and all of these different things that we're passionate about in the moment. Why are we so afraid to talk about the one thing that can change everything? For some of us today, that means you need to take getting to know God a little bit more serious so that you know what you're talking about. And today, know this. I just want to talk about a few things of what pursuit isn't. Pursuit isn't making people believe and act like you. Pursuit, getting someone to follow God, doesn't mean that you get them to think exactly the same as you, but it's showing them the grace and the love of Jesus. And that's messy. But can I tell you, when we do this, something incredible happens. Before I, I was part of Connect Church, I worked a youth pastor job. And the first year, all I kept harping to all of my leaders was this. I want a youth group where kids are going to walk into it who would never step foot in a church, ever. And it took some buy-in. <laughs> and my leaders were a little nervous at first. And I kept saying, I want kids who do drugs in our group. I want kids who are unsure about their sexuality. I want kids who are every label that we put on as the church that doesn't belong in it. I want them to be part of our group. And we began to see it play out. And it happened. 
So much so that my small group at the end was was some of the kids who smoked the most and did some of the craziest things, and yet we had something special. There was no judgment, but we sat around and we had conversations of how Jesus meets us where we are in our life today, and it was incredible. Pursuit isn't making someone believe like you. It's meeting them where they're at and bringing them along in the journey. And too many of us who follow Jesus want people just to get in and believe and act how we think right away, and that doesn't work. Another thing that pursuit isn't, pursuit isn't making someone sin less. Pursuit isn't behavior modification. Pursuit isn't just making someone behave well. It's pushing them towards heart change. And as the heart begins to change and as they understand more of who God is, then the actions begin to follow. Tim Keller says it like this, the gospel is good news, not good advice. We are not giving people advice on how to behave better. We're showing them how the gospel changes everything in our hearts. The last thing that pursuit isn't, it's not weird. As you pursue people, as you show them who God is, you're not supposed to not be be yourself. Do what's natural to you. For some of you, as I mentioned, the idea of pursue, maybe you have that idea of someone standing on the corner with a track or on a box with a microphone. If that's not you, that's not pursuit, don't do it. Be yourself. Love the people around you well. Care for them. Even though you may never back, again, pursuit doesn't expect that they're going to believe everything that you believe, but we love them anyway because God calls us to it. In a moment today, we're going to close. And as we do, I just want to explain what that's going to look like a little bit. On the way in, you got an index card with a pen. Just wave, and someone from the welcome team will make sure that you do get one. Um, And so get that out. I'm going to explain what that's going to look like. The team's going to come up, and they're going to play. And as they do, I want to give you a moment of reflection. And during this moment today, I ask the question, who are five people in your life that you need to pursue? Who are five people that maybe you encounter on a daily basis in your home, in your work, in your school, wherever you might go, that you need to pursue? That you would say, I need to love and I need to show who God is to them. And can I tell you, this is even more important in the world that we're in currently. This next week is going to be a wild one. And, and can I tell you this, a lot of people have their hope in Tuesday, where they're going to go the way that they're hoping that they're going to go, and because of whoever is elected, that life is going to be better. But at the same time, Tuesday is going to be a day where some people may lose hope completely, but we believe in the one who brings hope, regardless of who's elected, regardless of who our government is. Hope doesn't die because he lives in the person of Jesus. Would our church be the one who loves, who prays, who pursues, who shows people hope? And would we rejoice every time someone comes to know God? Again, they may may look nothing like how we would think. But would our church have some incredible celebrations around baptisms, around people coming to know God? And would we celebrate big? Would we laugh? Would we have fun together? Today as we close, 
I don't know where all of you are today, but if you would say today, I want to be found. I want to know the love of God. I want to know who he is. Um, maybe I've wandered. Maybe I've never fully given my heart and my life to Jesus, but today's the day I want to do that. As the team sings, just want to encourage you. There's nothing special. It's just a moment where we pray and say, God, I've messed up. I've made mistakes, but I want to follow you. Would you pray that as the team plays? And again, for those of us who do follow Jesus and are working to honor and glorify him on a day-to-day basis, while the team plays, would we think of five people this week that we can pursue? Just want to close with this. Um, Connect Church, our church is six weeks old. And everywhere I go, people are like, I can't believe you planted a church in the midst of a pandemic and and craziness. Uh, And they say, why did you do it? And I say this every time because there are people who don't know God. And, and I believe that God has called Rachel and I to this, to be part of East Winds, to be a light for who Jesus is. And when it's darkest, light shines brightest. And the world, the, it's a difficult time, but there are people who need to be pursued and there are people who need to know God. Today, as, as people who are here and with us, you are part of it. Would we be diligent in our pursuit of others who need hope, who need love, who need significance, who need Jesus? And as we close today, just want to pray over you and your cards as you head out. That God would divinely give you moments to speak truth, to love, to care for this week. God, today we thank you for who you are that you're the God who saw our distance and our brokenness and our pain and our hurt, and you came and you did something about it. God, you laid down your life for us. You died in our place that we would have forgiveness and hope and healing. God, today I pray for every name that's represented on these cards. God, whatever they're walking through this week, God, I pray for moments that us in this room would be able to love them the way that you love us to point them towards the one who changes everything. Would we love well and big? Would we not be afraid of what you're doing in our lives, God? Would we not be afraid to speak out? Give us courage, give us strength to live for you in this time, God. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this encourages you to take your next steps in your faith journey with God. You can check us out more on connectchurchnj.com. Have a great day.